We were lucky to record with Kathleen while she was in Dallas for the 7th Annual Reward Style Conference back in April. Everything is bigger in Texas, even our thunderstorms. So you might hear a bit of that in the background. Kathleen joked that she brought them with her from San Francisco. Thanks, Kathleen. From Like to Know It, this is Influencer Radio, a show about the influencer industry. This season, we sit down with some of the world's most successful influencers to unpack their unique life adventures and the digital businesses they built. I'm your host, Amber Vinsbox. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking with Kathleen Barnes, the witty candor and lovable Southern accent behind Carrie Bradshaw lied. Her style is a perfect blend of her Southern roots with an easy laid back West Coast style where she can be sporting a band tee and jeans one moment or a floaty floral dress the next. Kathleen is obviously known for her style, but more recently for opening up and divulging her candid, not always so glamorous San Francisco Chronicles as a spouse to a medical resident. Her self-deprecating humor and transparency in sharing life's unfortunate moments, which she lovingly refers to as triggers, makes her refreshing, relatable, and she feels like everybody's best friend. In this episode, we're discussing how she's navigated through life as a semi-nobed spouse to a medical resident how her dream of working for a magazine evolved into something even bigger than she imagined, and the importance of trusting in your own timeline and her feelings on staying authentic with her audience. We are so happy to have you on the podcast today, Kathleen. Amber, I'm going to read that to myself anytime I have a bad day. You can subscribe and just hit replay. That's truly the most inspirational thing I've ever heard. Well, it's exciting because it's really (laughs) your story. I mean... On a good day, yes. Yes. I mean, it's cool when you you time capsule it like that. I hope it feels good. It should. It's wild. It's been... A um, very unexpected wild ride. And a wild ride unexpected partially because you grew up in Mississippi. Yeah, grew up in Mississippi. Certainly never. I always loved clothes, always loved getting dressed. My mom would say, like, that's your fourth outfit today. Don't change clothes again. (laughs) You're not washing any more clothes. Right. And she's like, and now you made that into a job. You change clothes all day for your job. And I'm like, yeah, I actually do. So I never thought that would eventually turn into a career. It's crazy. So Mississippi is a big place. Where did you grow up in Mississippi? I grew up in Columbus, Mississippi. So it's like Northeast Mississippi, almost Alabama, kind of almost Tennessee, um, small town, like 30, 40,000 people. And was your family full of creatives like you? So my family's all in healthcare. So they're all physicians. They're all like, you know, totally really disciplined, really smart, love science, love chemistry. And I'm just not that way at all. My mom is an artist, so she's always been really creative and really crafty. And I like to think that my artsiness comes from her. Did your parents like try to guide you towards a certain career? Like you should be an artist or you should be a physician? Yeah. So my, so my dad's a doctor, my brother's a doctor and my sister's a nutritionist. And my dad kind of encouraged us, which I totally understand where he was coming from. He, he was like, you guys should be pharmacists or nurses. You can make your own schedule. When you have a family, you can work as much or little as you want. And I think that's so true. And if you're good at that and that's where your talents lie, it's a fantastic job. You know, serving others, like what an incredible, like gratifying job. Um, but I just suck at science. I mean, there's like no way around (laughs) it. And I'm like, I'm just not good at this. And so thankfully they were like, well, you know, you have to kind of move toward what your, where your talents lie. And so they kind of let me do my own thing, but there was not much guidance. So through school, were you like the creative art student, like high school? What, what was that like? I think, um, you know, my, all my family traditionally kind of does end up in healthcare. So I always 
felt like what came easy to them, I just had to work harder. So I learned that, you know, I was not going to just barely study and make an A. Like I had to really study to make an A. So I was really disciplined on studying hard because there were no, you know, my dad only cared about grades and if you were spending too much money. Those are the only things he cares about, you know? So as long as you're making good grades and not spending too much money, like you're good. So how much was too much? And I don't mean like a, from a dollar amount standpoint, but like, could you buy some outfits? Like what was dad going to start noticing on the credit card? Um, we had an allowance. And so anything that was going to exceed that allowance needed a phone call approval beforehand, which always went to mom, of course. What did you spend your money on? Clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Always clothes. I had a job in college at a boutique and I strictly used my paycheck all towards the discount clothes. Was that your first job in college? Yeah. Yeah. So my parents, actually my siblings, my brother worked at a bakery and he would like wake up four in the morning to bake bread, but like they didn't really want any of us to have jobs because they were like, you're in college, like your job is to make your grades, which I totally agree. But I mean, I kept getting shot down for all the dresses I wanted to buy. So I had to improvise. Yeah. I share a similar story. My mom wouldn't buy me the earrings. And I was like, well, I'm meant to wear those. <laughs> so yeah. I've got to find a way to do totally. it. Totally. So in college, you you worked at a retail store. I, I sympathize. You've got to look right, yeah. look the part. So I loved it. It was I was thriving. Bring my own CDs, put them in. I was like playing a soundtrack all day. It was fantastic. So what was your major in college? So I majored in marketing communications. I actually feel really fortunate that I happened to have a great um, like guidance counselor in college because I think I started out in liberal arts and one semester in you know I was taking all these like English classes and I'm just thinking what am I doing in here like I don't know how I'm going to use this and thankfully I had this amazing counselor who really guided me toward marketing communications because my family certainly like had no clue what I was doing and so really thanks to her I ended up in marketing communications with a minor in broadcast journalism and emphasis in PR and I feel I did that as a freshman and it really was the perfect fit. I can't even imagine what else I would have majored in. And I still feel like I really use that degree, but it's really thanks to her. So where did you go to school? So I went to the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, hotty toddy. <laughs> so I, I've been to, what's the? Oxford. Yes, Oxford yes. and then like the game day. Oh, the Grove. The Grove, yes. yes. That was a college experience. Oh, sure. it's an experience. Chandeliers and tents, like four inch stilettos and grass. It makes no sense. So when you go to Old Miss, what is like the, the social expectation? Um, and when, when did you graduate? So I graduated in 2009. So I was there 05 to 09. Okay. So you make all these friends at Old Miss. You're working retail, learning PR. What was going to be next for you? So I think I realized quickly on that I really wanted to work at a magazine because I thought, you know, what for me, like I love fashion and I love to write. So I thought like being an editor at a magazine would be the Mecca. Did you grow up reading any magazines? Oh, all the magazines. I would, my sister is four years older than me and she would go spend the night at a friend's house and I would go into her room, which where I was not allowed and go under her bed and get huge Tupperware bins full of like YM and these magazines that don't even exist anymore. With and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Always. And Hanson. Yes. And I would binge read them like cover to cover on the floor of her room until I could hear her coming back. And then I would just run out of there. Were the, so YM was maybe a favorite. Did you have some other favorites that you were like, this is go I'm going to be a part of this one day? I mean, in junior high, I would have said 17 YM, the classics. Um, but really, you know, Marie Claire, um, Glamour, like any magazine centered towards women and beauty and fashion. And I, you know, I would like to say Vanity Fair. I'm really not that highbrow, let's be honest. But you know, I just thought that 
working with other creative women and writing and being surrounded by that environment would be beyond thrilling. So I just started to curate all my summer internships and everything toward trying to work at a magazine. And so what did you do after school? So I was like always stressed out about getting a job. None of my friends, like everyone ended up going to law school or grad school because, you know, job market in 2009 was seriously sad and depressing and bleak, as you know. So for those who didn't graduate during this period, I just want to say that, so I did as well. I think we're the same age. And the day I graduated, all of my friends moved home with their parents and that was a reality I was not prepared for. Yeah. And I'd had all these friends and, you know, grow, growing up in Dallas and I went to school in Dallas and I had made friends from actually, you know, from uh, tons from like California and different states all over the U.S. really. And the day of graduation, all my friends left and I was left in this city. And the reason that that was maybe a reality I was not expecting was they couldn't get jobs. And so they had to move home. Sure. And I had friends with degrees from SMU that were working at the lotion store at the mall for like beyond a year. Yeah. Um, and so this was like a really weird time to graduate from school. So weird. And it was also just um, really unmotivating because you're just kind of like, this is what's been waiting for me after all of this hard work, you know? And for me, I mean, I would love to be from Dallas or California, but I'm from Columbus, Mississippi. And going home, I mean, unless I wanted to work for a roofing company, it was just like not an option, you know? So I worked incredibly hard, probably this was probably the job I was the most proud to land in my entire career. And then I ended up in the marketing department of Southern Living Magazine in Birmingham, Alabama. And I thought I had struck gold. I was just like, this is it. This is the door that I've been waiting for, you know? And, and for our listeners, Southern Living might, for many of you, maybe you haven't heard of Southern Living, but Southern, Southern Living, I know at least a few years ago, had the largest distribution of any magazine. This was like actually... For like for um, Americans, like most households had this magazine. A very loyal subscriber list, which is wild. So I started there, and it was amazing. And you know, it was like ninety nine percent women, and um, just smart, successful women. It's owned by Time Inc. So I thought, you know, if I work really hard here, then there's endless possibilities of other magazines I might be able to move to. Um, and so I was so excited. And then my first month there, I noticed everyone's crying and shutting their office doors. And I'm looking on MSN. I think like another terrorist attack has happened. I'm trying to find world news, what's going on. And finally, someone pulls me aside and says that Southern Accents had folded that day. And a half of our floor was the marketing and advertising department of Southern Accents, which was similar to Veranda at mm -hmm. the time. And then Southern Living. So that meant half of my floor, including the editor-in-chief of that magazine, had all lost their jobs. And I realized that everyone at Southern Living, they you know, had, had, had just had layoffs before I even joined the team. And so most of them were doing two jobs and getting paid for one. And I just thought, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way they're going to keep me around. And even if they do, like, there's no growth opportunity here for me. And that was soul crushing because for the past like 10 years, I had worked so hard to work at a magazine. I thought that was the dream. And with the state of publishing at that time, I just didn't know um, where it was going. And I didn't know how I was going to build my career in that industry. 
So it's an interesting industry in that it was everybody's dream job. Like sure. When I grew up, it was all about you want to be the editor of a magazine and, and specifically maybe the editor of Vogue. Like that was the queen job. Sure. Like you were essentially like. I didn't even like, dream that big. I mean, I was, you know. Yeah. You're like, I mean, a local be, magazine or something. I'd still be thriving. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it was like I wanted to be at Teen Vogue because I was like, I heard that Anna liked Teen Vogue. And so if I started in the closet organizing there, then like I could be a, a, a superstar who somehow would get discovered in the hallway at Connie sure. Aston and would ultimately then be the next Anna Wintour. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that is a, a very soul crushing experience because you were closer than most girls in the world to actually getting to that dream job. And it's only recently that that, that, that has socially changed and that's n- no longer like the thing that little girls end up grow up right. to want to be. But there's a lot to be learned from that industry, both on, you know, positive and negative. Um, it was thriving for so long. What would you say were some of the things that we can learn from from what, you know, traditional media looked like when you graduated. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's always so much to learn from everyone. And I think working in a corporate office like that, where you have every age range and you're learning from people that have been working in that industry for decades upon decades. I mean, you just need to soak it up like a sponge. People, if you're respectful and polite and you ask questions and you do your job and you prioritize the company, you know, I think... There's, you know, and I'm a millennial, but I think that there's, we have this reputation of being so self-involved that we don't care about the greater large scope. And I think having a good attitude and really being passionate about what you're doing, which is why you have to follow your passion so that you do end up with a job you genuinely love. I think people see that, you know, and don't sit around, ask for more work. And people are really willing to give you their advice and help mentor you, which is huge. It's, endless amount of beneficial information for your entire life for southern living how do you think it was that they captured this mass audience that they did you know i just think they've been around for so long and they've done such a great job of kind of encompassing all the interest of what southern women love you know when it comes to home and family and cooking and holiday decor and They've, you know, expanded. They have coastal living and cooking light. So they really, Southern Progress, that company as a whole, has really done such a good job of holding on to that market. But, I mean, you see, like, the magazine gets thinner and thinner and thinner. You know, it's tough. Well, what's interesting to me is in the way that you've described this, too, is it's really playing to that what we've become is like a nation of niche. And so what they did was they identified our audience is going to be the Southern woman. And culturally, the Southern woman cares about these specific things. And it's maybe about food and how to dress your living room for parties. And right. there's a cultural thing there. And so I think what's what's very interesting about the success of that, that um, just publication media company in general was that they identified that they were not going to be for everyone. They weren't for the woman in New York and they weren't for the woman in California, but there was enough audience that if they could go deep enough and own that space in the South, that they could actually you know come out the winner. And I think there's something to be learned even in modern media from that of you don't have to be everything to everyone. I think, um, you know, Courtney Kerr calls it like, I'm, you know, I'm cilantro and you can hate cilantro. And it's like, you know, you can love Courtney so much. (laughs) It's like, well, you can, you can go deep on just on who you are. And there's an actually enough people within certain niches to where you just needed to win that niche in order to be successful today. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting case study. So I've been from to Birmingham, Alabama. My dad grew up in yes. Alabama. Oh, There's wow. lots of very cute boys with sweet accents in Alabama. So did you meet yeah. one of those? No. So when I was there, my, like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they are there. I'm not no. saying they're not there. Yeah. Don't, don't come for me, Alabama. I love Alabama. 
Um, when I was there, I was still dating my college boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. So when I was um, when I left for Alabama, he started medical school in Mississippi. So he was he you know got accepted to a few medical schools, but got an amazing scholarship to stay at the University of Mississippi. So that's where he stayed. And did you go back? Or? So I think we were like four hours apart at that time, and because of his schedule and studying and whatnot that I think it's like the first two years of med school are just brutal and um he had he'd like you know could barely come up for air I remember he I saw him and he was like emaciated he'd lost like 20 pounds like it was wild and so he could never really I think he came once or twice to Alabama but I mean he really couldn't make that time commitment of driving because it was a waste of time that he could be studying and so even though I knew he wanted to I would always be coming to Jackson Mississippi to see him and it was just exhausting. And I was one of those girls where I actually have a lot of girls asking me, like, would you move with your boyfriend to a new place? And I never thought I would move for a boy. I was like, no, I'm never doing that. I'll be in New York before I move <laughs> to where you are, you know. But I really loved him. And I, um, my advice to girls would be, if you love the city and you'd be happy in that city, regardless of whether you were with that boyfriend or single, like for sure move. I did not take my own advice. <laughs> Thankfully, it worked out. But I did end up moving to Mississippi because I just thought, if I really care for him, like, he's there for four years. Like, I don't know how we'll do this. So I did, you know, thankfully, I guess it was all, all worked out the way it was supposed to because I realized that my future in publishing wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I found a job um, working for in the marketing and PR department of a bank's headquarters, which was in Jackson, Bank Plus. Shout out Bank Plus. Love that job. <laughs> Best job ever. Wait, what made it a good job? So I actually, I was in a department with like five or six women and they were from all over. Like one was from Texas, one was from North Carolina, and they all had ended up in Mississippi. And um, I, my boss was Kristen Allen, who still lives in Jackson. And she was the most incredible and still remains to be such an influential, fantastic mentor to me. So she really took me under her wing and was um, just just personally and professionally was such a role model for me. And I think having that influence so young and because I was now at a smaller company where I really was able to have more one-on-one -on -one time with someone I respected like that, it really made such an impact on my career. And still when I end up, because my husband's from Jackson, and still when I end up visiting, she and I grab lunch. Like it really was a relationship that helped shape the rest of my career. Mentorship is so critical, not even with millennials, but with Gen Z is what we're finding as well with within our own organization is you, you know, obviously at Reward Style, we're all really rallied around a singular mission of helping influencers be as economically successful as possible. And so that's something that that rallies us and that we wake up every day to go do and achieve. And so there's something that um, elicits discretionary effort because you care so much about that mission. But then there's also a point in your own career where it's like, am I being important to myself? Like, and what we have found is, you know, as we have grown and matured, that having mentors in the organization has been so critical to retaining talent and attracting talent. And it sounds like that's what made your job so, you know, absolutely joyful was that you were able to actually learn when you were there. Totally. And also working at a smaller company, it meant I was not in a cubicle. I had my own office, which I certainly did not deserve. <laughs> so I was thriving in my office. <laughs> I felt really fancy. So you you move back. You have a job that you love. Yeah, I was actually shocked married? because I was I was like did not want to move back. But that job, which I only got that job because of my Southern Living job, they were impressed with Southern Living, which thankfully got me that job. So really, I have everything actually to thank to Southern Living. 
Um, and I loved the job. So it made moving there a lot softer. And we did. We got married his fourth and final year of medical school. So it worked out. Thank God. So for those of us not familiar with medical school, so this first part's four years. First part's four years. And then it kind of varies depending on specialty. So my dad's a gastroenterologist. My brother-in-law's a pediatrician. My brother's a radiation oncologist. My sister's a dietitian. My so husband. I need to know you when I turn like 60 and we <laughs> yeah. need to like remain friends and you can hook me up with the medical community. Thankfully, gastroenterology and my husband does ear, nose and throat and facial plastic surgery. And then the pediatrician, like those are all handy. I'm like, hopefully yeah. no one needs a radiation oncologist. So hopefully he'll never be useful. <laughs> but the rest of them and even my sister being the nutritionist, like she's incredibly helpful to all of us. So I um, just give them makeup squad. and clothes. That's all I have. <laughs> Can I, can I give you a lipstick for your medical advice? Okay, so you're you're living in Jackson. You get married. Year four finishes. And then what's next? So um, Christian interviewed, I think, at like 12 or 13 different um, ear, nose, and throat residency programs across the country. So, I mean, literally everywhere from California to New York and in between. And I told him, I was like, you know, we have no kids. Like, let's have an adventure. Like, rank the best program you know, to the worst and like, we'll just do what's best and we'll figure it out, you know? And so we ended up matching in Orange County, California. He matched at the University of California, Irvine, which, so then I was like, okay, we're going to binge watch the OC. I have to automatically listen to Katy Perry's California Girls. I'm a cliche. I'm thriving. (laughs) I never in a million years even considered living in California, never even thought about it. Um, And so then we, as I guess we got married and I think six months later, moved across the country. To Orange County. To Orange County. So how long were you guys there? We were there for five years. I had no idea. I mean, what's nice about being somewhere, when you know you're going to be somewhere for five years, you really can invest in relationships Mm -hmm. and your career and and whatnot. And I had no idea how hard I would fall for Orange County. I'm still like in love with that town. It's magical. I, I just met some of the best people and everyone. I think because we were close to L.A., but we weren't in L.A., and everyone lives in a beach town, and everyone's happy when they live in a beach town. So moving from the south, where everyone's super friendly and hospitable, everyone was so nice there as well. It was the easiest transition. Well, when you talk about, like, the dream, so, I mean, magazine editor is something I think a lot of us shared. And then, I mean, people around the world want to go live in California, whether you're, you know, Italian or German or British. or whatever. It's like Hollywood is, like, the ultimate, and you're you're super close right there. So... Did that help your career? 100%. I don't know what I ever did to deserve that lotto ticket, but but I know for a fact that, so I had, when I was, when I moved to Jackson is actually when I started the blog because I thought, well, since I'm working at a bank now, I won't be able to, you know, pursue that magazine dream. But if I start this blog, then I'll be the editor in chief of my own website, you know, and I can write and say whatever I want and I don't have to have anything approved by anyone. So I had started it and it was horrible. But what was it called? It was this Carrie Bradshaw lied. Okay, so so day one, you nailed day it. One. Yeah. That was day one. I think I named it that. I was like twenty two or three, maybe when Why I started. Why did you think she lied? Um, I just couldn't wait to graduate college. I thought, you know, I'm so done studying. I get like test anxiety. I just wanted to get a job. I was like, I love to work hard, give me a task, and I'm like all over it. So I thought I'm gonna graduate college. I'm gonna 
get a job. I'm going to be thriving, restaurant openings, meeting new friends, going to the bar. I was so poor. I had no money. I could barely pay my rent, much less buy clothes and go to a restaurant. I had to choose between shopping or eating. And I was like, I had to make all new friends. And I just thought, this is hard, actually. Like, no one talks really about how hard life can be in those few awkward years after college when you're not successful in your career, but you're trying to get started and you're still poor and you're, you have no friends. It's like kind of lonely. And so I just thought, this sucks. This is not at all <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. No, and you're right. There needs to be like some books written about this. And actually, in my early 20s, there was a show called Quarter Life. Okay. And it died quickly. Rest in peace. It was a good show, yeah. I thought. Because I was starting to feel that awkward moment, like you're saying, where you know I talked about when I graduated from college, all my friends left. And I remember sitting in Baxter's apartment three days later, crying and, and I was like my friends are all gone like we used yeah. to like I would just call them and we'd go have coffee or we'd go have drinks or we'd be like happen to be free for lunch at the same time and we did life together and I was like I have no one to call like I can call my mom yeah and he was and like you're not in a college town you no. know like you don't see tons of kids you don't see hundreds of kids your age yeah he was just like welcome to being town. an adult and I remember being mad. I was like, that was mean. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm not a dull yet. I'm a child. Yeah, but that quarter life show was <laughs> was really hitting on that. And you're right. No one does talk about what those first few years are like because you do, you, you, you know, you graduate and you're like, I have this expensive education and I have all these dreams and I can think big. And, and then you get there. And um, like you said, it's like, you're, you know, taking shots at home because you can't afford the drink at the bar but you'll go. Well, I mean, a lot of people also for their jobs are moving around. I mean, I'm 31 and I've lived in four cities since college. So every single time I have to start over and make new friends and figure out like a dermatologist in town. It's like all the things, you know, it's like starting over, over and over and we'll move again. So it's like, it never ends. So you guys, so LA was a dream. Oh my gosh. I I could cry talking about it. Was there anything specific that helped your career when you were there? I think just being around so many um, motivated, driven, talented, creative people. I I love being from the South. I loved growing up in Mississippi. I would ride my bike every summer to the country club. It was like a storybook. I had a great upbringing, but um, you know, everyone isn't a lawyer, a CPA, a physician, like usually people, you know, a banker, people have pretty traditional jobs, which is fantastic, you know, and I understand, like, you know, that you'll be able to find success if you follow this traditional, you know, guideline, which I completely, you know, I'm thankful my husband has a traditional job so that I can be the dreamer and like doing crazy, the crazy stuff that I do. But if you're, if you don't fall into one of those boxes, you can feel a little pigeonholed, like, Will I ever find success if I love photography or, you know, there's just not as much of emphasis on those creative passions. And so by moving to California, all of a sudden I was like, what are all these people doing on the street at, you know, 3 p.m.? Like, don't they have office jobs? Like, no one has an office job. Like, everyone's a dreamer. Everyone's a creative. And so all of a sudden, instead of feeling kind of like this loner who like had different dreams than everyone else I felt like I was surrounded by people with similar dreams and it was incredibly inspiring and it was even more motivating for me to work hard and I feel like I met so many other people you know a similar age similar dreams is it blogging community specifically or just blogging community and when I moved to Orange County I was incredibly lucky to land a job um, at Urban Decay Cosmetics corporate headquarters so their headquarters is in Newport Beach And that was my first job there. And I remember, I'll never forget, I think it was like the first few weeks I worked there, I ended up in a conference room with the marketing department. 
And everyone in the room is female. Everyone's gorgeous, wearing four-inch heels, red, purple lipstick. I mean, you know, crazy lip makeup. Like, And they're on a phone call, a corporate call to Paris with the L'Oreal team, like talking big numbers and big business. Yet they look fabulous. And I'm thinking this... I could like cry thinking about it because I just was so inspired. I was like, I've never been around so many women that were so powerful while looking amazing. Like it was incredible. And I just thought that my life's going to change. And it did. So you finish your time in Orange County. Yes. And then what What was the next transition? So I we thought for the longest time that Christian wanted to do um, ear, nose, and throat. And that's really what he did want to do for a, quite a while. And then there are fellowship. There's... They're kind of like subspecialties within that specialty, like just otolaryngology, rhinology, facial plastic surgery. And I, he didn't think he was interested in that initially. And then the longer it went on, I mean, he also was very lucky to work with some incredible surgeons in Southern California, like some people that are nationally known for their talents. And so he really um, loved working with a facial plastic surgeon at UCI and ended up wanting to do reconstructive facial plastic surgery which meant more training. So, so how many years in are you by, at this point? <laughs> so this is the 10th year after college. So you're very, you're very supportive and, and quite I mean, flexible. Am I, Amber? Am I? That's, you should ask Christian that. That's debatable. No, I'm kidding. I joke that I was very supportive for like the first eight years. And now I'm like, you're 32. Get a job. This is hard. You know, I need some support. I think this is why audiences love you though, because you know, you speak of niche communities and I can imagine the wives and girlfriends who are, you know, standing alongside their partners, they go through this journey, which is this intensive training for their youth. Yeah. Um, It's wild. I had never expected to connect with so many other, not only medical wives, but also military wives, because it is a very unique, sometimes lonely road, you know, and you're by yourself a lot. I've, you know, had Thanksgivings alone. I've shown up to couples dinner parties alone. I, you know, it's just what it is. I've waited for him at concerts and he's never showed up, you know, like, it's just like the name of the game. I mean, that's, they sacrifice their personal lives for the health of strangers. Like that's what the job is. And so on one end, I'm like, you know, this is what I knew this was the case. He's wanted to be a physician since he was in high school. So it's not like he dropped this on me last minute, but uh, 10 years is a long time. Yeah. As that unfolds, I'm sure yeah. you, know, you think like <laughs> yeah. 10 years, you can maybe see a deadline, but I mean, you've gone from one, um, you know, from your 20s to your 30s? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 31. He's 32. And I will say, I do feel incredibly blessed because we continue, you know, when these medical programs, it's a match. So he ranks them, they rank him, and a computer sifts it all out. And then you get an email of where you're going. So it's not like you get to choose where you go. So I'm going to gather that he doesn't take your pictures. Oh, he does. Oh, he does take <laughs> your pictures. Okay. He does. He doesn't take all of them. I work with photographers also, but... He is so supportive and he actually wanted me to leave my job at Urban Decay and I wasn't ready because I loved that job. You know, that job taught me so much and I, you know, I'm still in touch with all the girls that work there. I loved the team I worked with there. So many talented women. What were the things that you learned in that job that you've been able to take with you through this next career? Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. I, you know, the women in that office are from all over the world. Like there are people who come from, you know, London to work in the Newport Beach headquarters office. It was incredible. The talent that is in 
that company. So I think in any corporate job, you learn about promptness and, you know, being professional over email and how to handle yourself in a mature, professional way. But in that office, it was unique because everyone there was a creative. There was no dress code. I mean, the just the style and fashion alone of these super edgy, cool girls while also doing these incredible jobs, creating material and content for the world to see. Um, I just, it was a very interesting way for me to learn how to embrace the authenticity of your talents and be yourself while also being a mature businesswoman. It was a very weird dynamic that I just had never seen women who looked like that and could be so cool like that, yet doing big business. So there's a movie, Battle of the Sexes, and Billie Jean King talks about how, I'm going to flip it, but basically she either had, let's say that she had a great backhand swing. And she says, you know, I didn't have the best forehand, so I could have gone every day and just practice over and over and over to get a better forehand. She's like, I didn't do that. I just sat and I practiced my backhand over and over and over. And I just, I created this moat between me and the rest of the competition where no one could touch my my backhand. And actually how strong that was overcame anybody else's, you know, more balanced strength with both of them. And I've also read a book recently that talked about how great leaders and entrepreneurs, they optimize the highs and they get through the lows. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you about this organization is just seeing people really lean into their strengths. Yeah. And I also think I feel so fortunate to both have worked in smaller offices and really huge mega corporate offices. And the beauty of working in a huge corporate office like that is that there's so many people that you're able to have this really niche job. And so everyone's roles were very specific and fine-tuned to their strengths. And that not only allowed me to shine in my role, but allowed me to admire and observe others shining in their roles, which to me is so educational as well, you know. And um, and everyone also is like under 40, which was awesome. So Kathleen, one of the one of the interesting things I think about where you guys are today. So you've been you've been living in San Francisco. Yes, yes. How many years have you guys been there? So we've only been in San Francisco for almost a year. Oh, almost a year. Yeah, okay. So it was real fresh. And you have, let's just say, for example, like how many followers on Instagram today? 400-ish. Okay. So you have like 400,000 people who have chosen to follow you and be a part of your journey. Thank God for um, them. Thank God for them. Because I think part of, you know, if, if someone hasn't like been following Kathleen or listening to her is that San Francisco has not been the same experience for you as, as Orange County was. It's been really hard. Yeah. And so I think you talk a lot about like, I mean, it, it's just, it's not your home. And yeah. so being lonely there, despite having like the entire world wanting to be a part of what you're doing, what is that? feel like? How does that affect your business? Yeah, it's tough because I think that I thought, you know, I'm an adult. I've lived all over. I got this. I wasn't worried about it. San Francisco is not a place I've ever like dreamt of living, nor my husband, but like that's where that's where he matched. And like, it is what it is. You know, we're moving there. And so I think that at this point, I feel like I am close enough with the CBL girls that like they would see through it anyway. Oh, CBL is what I call Carrie Bradshaw lied. So I just call all of my sweet girls that choose to let me spam their phones every day, my CBL girls. But I think they know me well enough at this point where like they can see through me faking something. And so I thought about it because for the longest time, you know, the first few months there were really tough and 
I, you know, was trying to stay positive. And then I knew because people were messaging me like, I feel like you're having a hard time. And I just thought, you know, I can sit here and lie and pretend that everything's great because I want to remain positive all the time, which everyone wants to stay positive. But also, like, I'm not the first person who's had to move somewhere for their spouse's job or move somewhere for a job, you know, a promotion or something when they didn't want to move somewhere they don't really love living. Like, that's just totally relatable thing that so many people have dealt with. And I kind of thought, you know, I bet if I open up about this, like, so many other girls have felt the same way. And I... I remember when I hit publish on a blog post because I just thought, oh my gosh, I hope people don't call me ungrateful because it's like, obviously, I know I have so much to be grateful for and I am, but it doesn't take away that the day-to-day life is tough, you know? Like, I've watched a man overdose and die on the street. That's a hard thing to see and it's really sad. Like, it's just kind of tough. And so when I opened up about it, I had no idea the outpouring of people that I would connect with who are like, thank you so much. Like I have, I'm living in, you know, so-and-so place right now for my husband's job. And I just like, have you know, been here two years. It's been so hard. I just don't feel like I have any good friends here. It doesn't feel like home. And I think it's a super relatable thing. And so, you know, it won't always be this way. Like things move and shake and it's fine. And, you know, life will continue. But I think opening up about struggles is just as important as, showing the beautiful parts. What gave you the courage to do that? And I ask because a lot of times when people have had a level of success like you've had, you've got a good thing going and you don't want to tarnish that thing. Did that ever cross your mind of, I'm going to turn people off or this is no longer going to be a garden and I might lose some followers or what, or did you always have strength in that this was going to be a, a, a good move for your business to share that? You know, I think that's the beauty of your thirties. <laughs> I think in your twenties, you know, you want to be really sensitive to everything and only come off positively and you don't want to offend anyone. And, you know, this is my life. This is my experience. And when you choose to be vulnerable and share your life, like I think personally, I, I realize that I love other influencers and girls who share highs and lows because, you know, there is true when you share the hard times, whether it's, you know, postpartum or having to go through a breakup or whatever it may be, it's relatable. Everyone has struggles. And I think sometimes when all you see is the beautiful, perfect, happy side, it makes you feel like alone in your own struggles. And for me, I just thought, you know, I love when people are relatable and share the highs and the lows. And I want I would never want anyone to come to Carrie Bradshaw Lied and think like, wow, like I don't have enough clothes or like, you know, my life's not sparkly enough. It's like everyone has their things and they're big to you because they're yours. So no matter what your struggles are, they, they're important because they're yours and it doesn't matter if they're insignificant to someone else. And so I think that um, I just wanted to be honest in that way. And honestly, I have no regrets, you know, because the thing is, is, through struggling, like I had to get a therapist because I thought, you know, this isn't my husband's problem that I'm like unleashing all of my frustrations on him, you know, and he was being as supportive as he could be, but that's not the kind of wife or partner I want to be. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to a therapist. And it was the most enlightening, helpful experience. So I thought, well, I'll talk about that on my blog. And then I was so amazed at how many people were so happy to hear me talking about therapy because they feel like there's a stigma around therapy, which I've never felt that way. But I thought, oh, okay, well, if talking about these 
challenges is helpful to other people. Like I'm happy to be that person. Like I don't have anything to hide, you know? So I think what you've hit on is something that is, it's, you know, the, the obvious in plain sight thing that no one actually understands about the influencer industry. And what makes it tick is actually because I can be Kathleen's friend because I know she went to therapy and I know that she lived in San Francisco and, and is struggling there. And there's other influencers with different stories of struggle, but you think about the people that you know in your life and if you don't know their struggles or the, if you don't know anything about their bad days, like, are they really your friend or do you really know them? Or is it just someone you are aware of? Right. And this actually becomes an industry because you have a friend set that's, um, that knows you deeper than just Kathleen has pretty clothes and lives in a nice city. Sure. And yeah. so therefore, when you talk about therapy, I'm sure people said, who's your therapist and, yeah. or your living apartment. Well, what's, what's part of the city did you choose? I and think, I think I have a girl maybe moving into <laughs> to our apartment after us. Well, that's great. I was like, let me give my landlord's number, girl. Well, well, and that's the thing is like, you know, this is a, a funny way to say it, but uh, Charlotte Jones was recently at the Reward Style Conference and she said on stage, you know, if people love what you're doing in your brand, it's not about the shoes. And what I mean by that is you're wearing a pretty pair of shoes, but you're not talking about they're pretty and they're, they run small and, they, and you might share that as well, obviously to, to be helpful to people, but they're not there because you sold them a good pair of shoes. They're there because they love Kathleen and everything that you stand for. And if you chose that, then they would like to choose that as well. Um, and I think that you so beautifully articulated I that. I appreciate that. You know, I think there's, there's room for everyone, you know, like some people don't want to share a lot of their private life, which I completely understand. And so they want to share more of the you know, outfits and the styling and whatnot and not open up as much, which they have every right to do so. I think there's space for everyone and people gravitate towards different kinds of women. And I think for me, I'm, you know, I'm like, I don't, I won't exploit my friends and family. Like I always, if I ever talk about Christian, I always make him proofread it to make sure he's comfortable with me sharing it. But for the most part, I'm just talking about my crazy self. <laughs> and so I just don't mind opening up, but I also love other accounts that are that way. So I think that's what's so amazing is there really is space for everyone. So what's next for you on your goals and your career? So we are moving. Cue the like, chorus. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, we'll be moving the end of the summer. So in January, um, Christian had a few different offers and we were traveling to different places, trying to check out the different practices. So he's joining a private practice and he signed the paperwork. At he got a job. Sale. He got a job. And oh, I can't believe it. Like, I don't even know what that will be like. Not only will he have a job, but he's going to be home for dinner. So it's going to be crazy. Um, we're really so with life. I know, right? I don't even know what that's like. It's going to be wonderful. So he won't start until September the 1st. And so we kind of have this summer off. Um, we're trying to figure out kind of what that will entail, doing a little house hunting. So I haven't shared where we're moving yet, but um, we'll probably share this summer. So we'll see. And where can we follow along with your journey? Your like yes. profile, your blog, your Instagram, where else are you publishing? Let us know all the things. Yes. So the website's carriebradshawlight.com. And then on Instagram, I'm Kathleen underscore Barnes. And that's my like to know it profile as well. And, um, and then all my other Facebook, Twitter and whatnot. You can find all those on my blog as well. But let's be honest, everyone's on Instagram. Are they not? You know? Yep. Okay. So last tip for people who are just getting started on their journey today. So maybe, you know, we grew up wanting to be magazine editors. They want to grow up and be Kathleen Barnes. What oh would gosh. you give them two pieces of advice? I think, you know, I always feel like girls feel like having a career 
while also managing their blog is a negative thing. And I just couldn't disagree more. I think that having a job when you start your blog is incredibly valuable. You don't put that pressure on yourself and you continue to learn so much from the company you work for and the, you know, influences at that company. So I think don't think that if you have to have a day job that that's a negative thing. It's just not at all. And then I think the second thing is, you know, while we gather so much inspiration from other people, be yourself because it's exhausting trying to be someone you're not, you know, just be yourself, embrace, find your strengths and where you shine and really try to highlight those. And, you know, don't be afraid to go to events by yourself or show up solo. Like you're a business, you're representing yourself. You are a brand in yourself. And so don't be afraid to go at it alone. You're good. You're good, girl. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank it's you. Been so Amber, I know. What a Such treat. advice for so many people, whether it's starting in the influencer industry or starting their own businesses or just thinking about it or thinking about how to be a better team member at the places that they are working or get the most out of that. There's such richness here. I think there's just so much to learn from every job you have along the way. So much. Thank you for listening to Like to Know It Influencer Radio. Follow Kathleen for her hilarious take on everyday life and style in the Like to Know It app at Kathleen underscore Barnes. The Like to Know It app is the only place where you can go to search for products and get 100% shoppable results, all in the context of the lives of real influential people who use those products. Search for products like trench coat, over-the-knee boots, stroller, white marble table, and get results from real people who use them. Like to Know What Product Search gives you an incredible contextual experience that cannot be found anywhere else. Join our community by downloading the Like to Know It app on the App Store and Google Play.